This is an AMI podcast. The couple times that I've tried to put on mascara, I get it on and then I put my glasses on and it smears up my glasses. Are my eyelashes too long? I don't understand. Jenny Bovard and friends share the funny and awkward moments that come from life with vision loss. I'm simply here to tell you some real stories in a real way from my own personal experiences. Low vision moments, new episodes every month. Download this AMI podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Joyetha Gupta, and this is The Pulse. Carter versus Canada was a 2015 landmark Supreme Court decision. The unanimous decision held that the criminal prohibition on assisted suicide or medically assisted dying could be successfully challenged based on sections of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. The issue of assisted dying was hotly debated at the time the court rendered its decision and indeed continues to be topical today. It raises a plethora of ethical, political, fiscal, and legal questions. In the years since Carter, the issue of assisted dying has come before the courts again. Studies have been commissioned by the government and other entities to understand the complex repercussions of the decision. Today, we discuss medical assistance in dying. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. My name is Joita Gupta and I'm the host of the program. Over the next two episodes, we're going to take a deep dive into the history and some of the conversations around medically assisted dying in Canada. I want to acknowledge that this is not an easy conversation. It has preoccupied me as the host and the producer of the show for well over a week as I've done the research and booked the guests and put the show together. So it's not an easy conversation. And I want to start out by reminding all of us that our mental health and mental well-being is especially important when we have these difficult but necessary conversations, especially right now during the pandemic. So I'm going to start out by giving you the number for the Canada Suicide Prevention Line in case over the course of the conversation or indeed after it, you start to feel really overwhelmed. I hope you will reach out and get some support. You can, of course, call this crisis line or you can reach out to friends or family members or someone that you have in your life that you can talk to. But please do talk to someone. So here's the number for the Canada Suicide Prevention Line if you need it. It is 1-833-456-4566. That's 1-833-456-4566. It's a 24-7 crisis line. You can call and speak to somebody if you need to, if you find that the conversation has been triggering to you. You can also send them a text at 45645. That's 45645. Okay, now let's talk a little bit about medically assisted dying. It, it, it came back in the news or it happens to be in the news because Bill C-7, an act to amend the Criminal Code of Canada, has been in the news, is in second reading at the Parliament of Canada at the moment, and because the parliamentary budget officer, at the request of a senator, has prepared a cost analysis of Bill C-7, should it come to pass. 
What we're going to do in the second half of the program is hear from the Parliamentary Budget Officer of Canada, Yves Giroux, joins us in the second half of the program to talk about some of the estimates in the Parliamentary Budget Officer report. But first, how did we come to a place where we talk about medically assisted dying in Canada? What is the history? What will Bill C-7 hope to change? To answer all of these questions, I'm joined now by Patricia Hughes, who is the former and founding executive director for the Law Commission of Ontario. Patricia Hughes, welcome to The Pulse. It's so good to have you on the program. Thanks so much. There's a lot of ground to cover when we talk about how Bill C-7 comes to be in the news. Take us back to Carter versus Canada. That was the 2016 decision that legalized medical assistance in dying. In a few words, what did that ruling say? Okay, I'll just precede that a little bit. Just so people understand that until 1972, it was actually illegal to commit suicide or attempted suicide. So it's it's come a long way since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in 1972, that was changed. And then in 1993, there was the Rodriguez case uh, where Sue Rodriguez challenged the um, continuing... Um, prohibition in the criminal code against uh, assisted suicide, against anyone helping someone to kill themselves. And she failed in that. That wasn't successful. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a successful challenge. Then in 2015, we have the Carter decision. And the Carter decision at the Supreme Court of Canada held that uh, those provisions preventing people, a a medical practitioner, which means a doctor or a nurse practitioner, those prohibitions against assisted uh, suicide or against helping someone to die uh, Mm -hmm. were unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. This was crucial, obviously. The Supreme Court did give some guidelines as to uh, what should be included in amending the criminal code. But one of the things they didn't say is that death had to be reasonably foreseeable. Mm -hmm. People had to have a grievous medical condition and, and some other criteria. But the reasonably foreseeable was something that was included in the amendments to the criminal code. Two people brought a challenge in Quebec to the criminal code provision and also to the Quebec's end-of-life act, end-of-life care act, sorry, uh, because of that reasonably foreseeable provision, which in their case prevented them having assistance in dying because although they were finding it very, very difficult to live, because of their mm-hmm. medical conditions, they uh, weren't eligible because they were, it wasn't expected that they would be dying in the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. So they brought that challenge, and then we have the decision in 2019 from the Quebec Superior Court that that aspect of the requirements was unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. The requirement the for a of, foreseeable death, basically. That's right, that the death... It's unconst- it was unconstitutional to require that there had to be foreseeable death. 
or the mm-hmm. death had to be reasonably foreseeable. Mm-hmm. That takes us then to Bill C-7, which uh, are, of course, the amendments to the criminal code uh, provisions relating to medically as- assist- medical assistance in dying. Okay, we've heard uh, Bill C-7 has been in the news quite a bit. Just take us through the major provisions in that bill. So it's now in its second reading. What is in the bill? What's changing? What's on the table? What's being hotly debated? Right. What happened with uh, Bill, what's happened with Bill 7 is that the Minister of Justice did in fact remove uh, reasonably foreseeable death as a requirement. But instead of just removing it, established two tracks that could be followed in a request for medically uh, medical assistance in dying for MAID. In the one case, it retained reasonably foreseeable death, and in the, the other track, removed it. Reasonably foreseeable death track is pretty much the same as Bill C-7, as, as the... Uh, criminal code was before Bill C-7. There were one or two mm-hmm. changes. I won't worry about those. But basically, it was the same as it was before. However, mm-hmm. the track that does not require reasonably foreseeable death has been made it more complicated. So... Mm-hmm. Um, In both cases, there are safeguards, and some of them are the same. Mm -hmm. But what's important, uh, I think, here, and I'm just going to emphasize what seems to be really important. First of all, in the one track with the reasonably foreseeable death and, and the existing criminal code, although you need two doctors, the doctor who is the person's uh, doctor and then another person, under the, you don't need someone who's an expert in the person's condition, whereas if it's on the second track, uh, which is the amendment, you do need an expert in the person's condition. So that's the first uh, major change. The second mm-hmm. is that there has to be a discussion by the medical practitioner or the nurse practitioner who is assisting the person or will assist the person of various options that are alternatives to MAID. And these are fairly detailed. More than just a discussion, it's that the practitioner must agree that the individual understands these alternatives, has Mm -hmm. heard these alternatives, and has considered them. Mm-hmm. which is in some ways um, an expectation that, well, it's definitely not an expectation that's imposed on somebody who isn't choosing the other track. Mm-hmm. Second, uh, third, sorry, that the, there's 90 days between the first assessment of whether or not the criteria have been met and provision of made. Mm-hmm. This does not exist for the person whose death is reasonably foreseeable. Mm -hmm. There can be a shorter period if there appears to be, um, that there appears there will be loss of capacity to consent, uh, and there can be a shorter period determined by the practitioner. 
But generally speaking, there needs to be three months. Now, this mm-hmm. doesn't appear at all in the uh, other approach. And uh, even in, in the other approach, in fact, the 10 days between establishing the criteria exist and the provision of made, which exists currently under the criminal code, has been removed in the amendments. So that's a pretty significant difference for the two tracks. It and is, then indeed. immediately before aid is given on the track without reasonable foreseeability, they must ensure express consent. So what's happened is that by they have got rid of this requirement of reasonable foreseeability, but only for one approach, one track. Mm-hmm. And they've made that second track more difficult to comply with. Mm-hmm. And also, in some ways, established a scheme by which people whose conditions are neurodegenerative, for example, which are often mm-hmm. the case in, you know, is often the case in these situations, as if they aren't able to make their decision in the same way as the other type of uh, condition. These are very important differences. They are indeed. And I remember in a column that you wrote, you said that Bill C-7 may be following the letter of the the law, but it's yeah. up in the air as to whether they're really following the spirit of the law. We've just got a minute or two left, and I really want to ask you about the exclusion of mental disorder or mental yeah. illness as yeah. a way to seek medical assistance in dying. I know that not everybody is unanimously happy about it. What is the what is on the table in terms of B, uh, Bill C-7? What is likely to change? Well, um, it doesn't prevent uh, if it's part of the issue. There were three um, committees established to look at the different issues that weren't dealt with initially, and that's mature minors, um, mental illness, um, and advanced directives. Mental mm-hmm. illness, Uh, is clear that it cannot be a sole reason for requesting MAID. So that's still outstanding. Uh, The Mm -hmm. government is is supposed to be looking at that issue and deciding what to do, but Bill 7 does not provide for that, uh, which, um, of course, is a controversial subject, as as you've pointed out. and you can understand why. I mean, it's. But at the same time, um, there are jurisdictions which do allow that, and in, in some cases, uh, those raise concerns. So, we still don't know what's going to happen with that. But it's not something yes. that would be permitted by Bill C seven. So much more to talk about, but we are at the end of our time together. Um, But I'm sure we'll come back to this. Uh, I really thank you for taking some time and speaking to us today. Thanks a lot for being on the program. Thanks very much, Joita. Thank you. We heard from the founding executive director of the Law Commission of Ontario, Patricia Hughes. And Patricia took us through a brief timeline of major events related to medically assisted dying in Canada and spoke at length about what might change as a result of Bill C-7. One of the things that happened with the introduction of Bill C-7 is a cost analysis 
of the amount of money that the Canadian government, specifically provincial governments, might save if Bill C-7 becomes law. That report was prepared by the Parliamentary Budget Office of Canada. Joining me now is Yves Giroux, Canada's Parliamentary Budget Officer, who will break down that report. Yves Giroux, welcome to The Pulse. It's great to have you on the program. And thank you very much for the invitation. I want to talk to you about the PBO's cost analysis of Bill C-7. Why did you undertake this cost analysis and what were you hoping to study? Well, we undertook the study at the request of a senator in anticipation of Bill C-7, which was initially tabled in February, if I'm not mistaken, in anticipation of the bill being retabled after prorogation. So that's why we undertook the study of that bill, which seeks to expand the medical assistance in dying for people who are not near the end of their life. And Mm -hmm. we were asked specifically to determine how much, if anything, uh, in savings there would be for provinces and territories if that bill was to pass. And that's what mm-hmm. we that's what we did. In February, when Bill C-7 was first, uh, went through its first reading, COVID-19 was just on the horizon. And I'm sure that now, several months into the pandemic, many of your estimates would have changed on account of the pandemic. But Setting aside COVID-19 and the pandemic for just a moment, do you have any estimates about who, how many people, what kind of demographics uh, are we looking at in terms of 2021? How many people are likely to use medical assistance in dying? So we do have these numbers. That was uh, the basis for the cost estimate. And the we estimate that uh, based on international experience, notably in Belgium and in the Netherlands, there would be about 1,200 additional deaths uh, as a result of C7. So it's an addition to C14, which is the medical assistance in dying for people whose end of life is um, is nearer. Uh, and as most of you, uh, most of our listeners know, uh, C7 would remove the requirement that the end of life be in the near future. So with these uh, um, fewer requirements, we expect that there would be about 1,200 additional deaths per year, leading to uh, cost savings for governments of about 62 billion, not billion, millions, 62 million dollars per year. Mm-hmm. We'll talk a little bit about that figure and the cost savings to provincial governments. But let me bring in the the undeniable fact of COVID-19. Already people are saying that many Canadians who have contracted COVID-19 may end up with long-term conditions. Do you suspect, and we might be getting to speculations here, but does COVID-19 in any way alter your estimates of the number of people who might rely on medically assisted dying in 2021, but also beyond that? It's uh, it's probably, it's a certainty that COVID-19 will have an impact on the number of people who will seek uh, medical assistance in dying. Uh, the impact, whether it'll be more people or fewer people, is not clear, however. So we looked at the study that was conducted fairly recently in the UK uh, to to look into the impact of COVID-19 on medical assistance in dying. And there are two potentially offsetting impacts. So 
patients that would have requested medical assistance in dying might have died because of COVID-19. So that could mm -hmm. decrease the number of people who need that legislation. On the other hand, the UK study predicts an increase in the number of deaths from cancer because of a significant reduction in admissions for chemotherapy during the pandemic, a significant decrease in urgent referrals for early cancer diagnosis. And so that could lead to a, an additional number of cancer patients in subsequent years increasing the number of people who will unfortunately be suffering from cancer to an extent such that they request medical assistance in dying. So because the pandemic is still not over, it's very, very difficult to determine whether the net impact will be an increase or a decrease in the number of people who will seek assistance. Mm -hmm. I'm going to sort of work my way gradually to the findings of your study, but just talk to us a little bit about the costs of end-of-life care. So I think a lot of Canadians don't realize that there are significant costs when we provide palliative care in the last year of someone's life or even in the last month of someone's life. What are some of those costs and how much does it end up costing Canadian provinces? Well, we did the breakdown by medical condition, by age, and for the last weeks and last month or last six months of, uh, of somebody's lifetime. And we find, for example, that somebody who has cancer and is in the prime age, so we, we refer to that as between 18 and 59 years old, um, the last three months of their life when they're suffering from cancer incur costs to the medical system of about $40,000 for three months. Somebody who is in their last six months in that age range um, would have costs of about $57,000. And when it's not related to cancer, so other medical conditions, the costs are between twenty-four dollars and $45,000 for these three or six-month period. Mm -hmm. And other stats for the last year of life, depending on the age and the medical condition, it varies between fifty-five and eighty thousand dollars for the last year in terms of medical costs. So the last year or the last few weeks of life is very expensive for from a um, from a healthcare perspective. Mm -hmm. And of course, we know that although the criminal code is uh, has federal jurisdiction, it's provinces that pick up the, the tab or have the bulk of the responsibility for health care. So any savings that would accrue with expansion to medically assisted dying would accrue to the provinces. Take us through your findings. How much money would provinces end up saving if Bill C-7 were to pass, according to your estimates? So according to our estimate, if Bill C-7 was to pass, provinces would save an estimated $62 million per year. And given that C-14 is already in force, which is the, um, the predecessor to C-7, so the current provisions, and C-14, the current provisions, allow uh, savings of about $87 million per year. So both the current provisions for medical assistance in dying and C7, which would expand these provisions, would lead to savings of about $149 million per year. 
which may seem a lot, but in the grand scheme of things, it's less than 0.1% of all healthcare costs in Canada. So it's, it's not the main driver for, uh, it doesn't seem to be the main driver for implementing these provisions because the savings in absolute dollar terms may seem important, but um, in comparison to all the healthcare costs, they're really minuscule. Mm-hmm. And if the costs are so minuscule, why even consider the cost analysis? I know it's a slightly contradictory question to ask you, but you know, if we're just looking at such a min- minuscule savings, why does the conversation overwhelmingly become about the dollars and cents? Um, we did that because we were asked by a parliamentarian. <laughs> and when I'm asked by a parliamentarian, I tend to see these proposals favorably. So when a a senator asked me to estimate the savings or costs of such a measure, we decided to to do that. But uh, I agree with those who say the costs should not be relevant in in these provisions. I think when we're looking at medical assistance in dying or end of life, uh, we should not consider the costs. We should consider the reduction in suffering. That should be the main focus of anybody who considers legislation or the best care to provide to those who are in the end of life or are suffering. I think rather than saving dollars, we should try to save days of suffering, uh, be it through assistance in dying or better palliative care. Mm -hmm. And do you think, just as a follow-up to that, do you have any idea about how expanding palliative care, what kind of cost implications that might have? Uh, We haven't looked at that because that depends uh, a lot on how much provinces and territories are willing to expand uh, palliative care. Uh, But we find that palliative care is cheaper than regular care or health care by between 40 and 70 percent. So providing more or making more widely available palliative care could reduce healthcare costs to a, a, by a significant margin if palliative care was readily and widely available to all those who need it. But we haven't done the specific cost analysis of that or savings analysis. Yves Giroux, thank you very much for speaking to us today. It's been a pleasure getting to know some of your work. Thank you so much. My pleasure. That was Canada's Parliamentary Budget Officer, Yves Giroux. He joined us to talk about the recent report prepared by his office that is a cost analysis of Bill C-7. And earlier in the program, you heard from Patricia Hughes, who is the founding executive director of the Ontario Law Commission. If you missed any of those conversations or you'd like to go back and have a listen, you can find the show on your favorite podcast platforms. You can also visit our show blog at ami.ca forward slash on the pulse. At the end of the second show, I'll probably just do one big blog blog post sort of giving you my take on different perspectives related to medically assisted dying in Canada. So I hope you will check out the show blog. I want to thank both our guests, Patricia Hughes, as well as Yves Giroux for being on the program. The Pulse is a work of intense labor. Our technical producer is Nasreen Abdul-Majid. Andy Frank is the manager for AMI-audio. And Paula Deneen is our technical supervisor. 
This is a hotly debated topic, so if you have anything to say, you can give us a call at 1-866-509-4545. That's 1-866-509-4545. And don't forget to give us permission to play the audio on the program. You can also find us on Twitter at AMIAudio. Use the hashtag PulseAMI. You can find me on Twitter at Joita Gupta. You're also welcome to write us an email. If 280 characters isn't enough for you to express your point of view, you can send your email to feedback at ami.ca. I hope that everyone stays safe and that you keep well during the pandemic and just in general. Until next time, you've been listening to The Pulse on AMI-audio and I've been your host, Chuita Gupta. Have a wonderful rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.